Hello, and welcome to the All Things Narrative podcast, where we explore the relationships between the stories we love and the stories we live. I'm your host, Derek Hatch, and let's get started. What's up, everybody? We are all here, finally, in 2023, we made it. All right, Ooh. who is in the house today? Um, <laughs> I'm in the house. We got Jerome Hanson. Joseph Jerome Daniel Lee Hanson Stark Wilson, the prince soon to be king of all sayings. Shout out to Alec. He told me to shout him out uh, before I left home. Yes. So that's my boy right there. Thank you, Alec. Faithful listener. And who else do we got in here? Uh, Nick, I don't have the cool intro. I'm still learning that from Joe, but I am here today. <laughs> hey, it's uh, Jason. <laughs> I thought, so, thought you were going to say something else. I'm here. Oh, yeah, man. Here. And I'm ready to share thoughts and opinions. There we go. You guys uh, see the promo video that you guys are all in? We all yes. Know. I didn't. Mm-mm. I actually did. Yeah, what'd you think of it? Good. Yeah, you guys look great. <laughs> I mean, we do look good. Yeah, I mean, you look good right now. I wish yeah, everybody could see you guys right I, now. I did realize that my side profile looks super awkward. And in every single... Maybe it's not good to, see, to say on the podcast because then they'll all look for it. But every <laughs> single... Uh, Don't do it. Shot. Don't do it. I'm pulling, like I'm stroking my beard. Like, I did not notice shot, that. You just see, just uh, I've seen like that. The fingers go up and then go down. I've seen it probably like a hundred times because of the editing revisions mm-hmm. back and forth, and I never have noticed that that's what you're doing. That's all you'll see now. So now that's, that's all, all I'm people gonna are going to see now, Jason. Yeah, if mm-hmm. you guys ever, if you guys want to see what Nick, Jason, and Joseph actually look like, go check that out on the All Things Narrative YouTube channel. It's also now on the front homepage of allthingsnarrative.com. Just and keep, guess, just, just keep it a mystery. Guess Trust who? Me. Guess who's <laughs> by the names and the voices? Who do you think is who? Yeah, exactly. Try to match just everybody. Just listen up and there. keep it a mystery. Make please. it a game. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! All right, guys. Well, so good to have you guys here as we continue our genre series. So why we love these different genres. We're actually recording two episodes today. So the first one you're hearing right now is about fantasy. And next time will be all about sci-fi, that good old science fiction. So today, I got to be honest, fantasy is an overwhelming genre because- Besides the fact that it's it's one of my favorite genres, there's just so much good stuff to talk about. I mean, there's a lot of crap too, but there's a lot of good stuff. So you guys ready to kind of get into this? Yeah, we got a list. Let's get through. Yeah. Now a lot of this stuff. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the stuff is going to be overlap in stuff we've talked about previously. But there's other stuff that we haven't heard your perspective on, like when we did Harry Potter when we did Narnia and Lord of the Rings and when we did Studio Ghibli, you guys weren't on those episodes, so it'll be cool to get your guys' perspective as well. And we can talk a little bit about Megacon as well because that was fun a couple weeks ago. Megatron? Megatron. I'll talk about it. So let's do this. Would that be considered fantasy? That's Fantasy good. Orders? That's a good question. So what is oh, well, I think considered be more yeah. fantasy, right? So with all these genres, we're going through the book, The Screenwriter's Taxonomy, which you ordered that book, right, Nick? Mm-hmm. Did you? No, I haven't gotten into it yet. Okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm halfway through it right now. <laughs> but fantasy would fall as one of the super genres. So these are what are considered to be the 11 major genres. Then you've got macro genres, which there are 50. And then you've got like 150 micro genres or something like that. 
So we're trying to really explore these genres, <clears throat> what they are. And as we talk about these films, one of the things that a couple people recommended and asked for with these genre episodes is to explain a little more why personally you guys love each of these particular films, right? So what is it that you personally connect with with them? So I thought that was a good suggestion. We try to do that anyways, but being conscious of that, I think will be good. Mm. Yeah, so fantasy. Come to see victory in a land called fantasy. You can take that all out, you know, but. (laughs) No, I want to keep that in. How how big is the fantasy? Like, can you swim in? The scope? Can you ride a boat on the fantasy? I feel like you can soar with the fantasy. What kind of fish live in the fantasy, Derek? (laughs) Whatever kind you want. Or can imagine. Whatever you can imagine. Exactly. It's endless fantasy. Yeah. Mm. It is endless possibilities, right? And so. I want to give you guys a definition of the fantasy genre okay. that we can, and it's, you know me, you guys have heard the episodes. It's not a one sentence definition. It's more like a description of the fantasy genre, <laughs> but to give you guys just something that'll kind of help us to build off of. And so these, I use these for when I do workshops and I help people to think about their life story uh, through the lens of a particular genre. So with fantasy, if you think of the fantasy genre and how your life relates to it, Here it goes. The fantasy story invites us to get lost in a visually enticing world of wonder. On the surface, these worlds of talking beasts and magical incantations are not like our own, yet they serve as a mirrored reflection of our own reality with exaggerated characters representing different facets of our existence. These archetypes echo our complex psychologies, embodying our subconscious fears and desires. Many great fantasies are tales of a human in the world of enchanted myth and supernatural wonder. Along the way, they explore new lands, meet new companions, and discover profound truths about themselves and the world around them. As the protagonist navigates their quest, we are challenged to think about how we navigate our own world. Because fantasy explores not only what is possible within the realm of imagination, but what is desirable for our own lives. Fantasy causes us to reflect on what we want and what we don't want for our world. As we move from the familiar to the unfamiliar, we daydream in fantasy land in order to return to the real world with something of value, something that will sustain us throughout the various quests we find ourselves in. Fantasy ultimately reminds us that we are beings made in the image of a creator, given the ability to create and birth new worlds of endless possibilities one of the only things i heard in that was exaggerated characters yeah that stuck Mm. out to me yeah how so uh well i was just thinking of edward scissorhands because i think Mm. that's one of the movies that i like most yeah and like that's as exaggerated as it can get yeah Uh, well maybe not but yeah i know that theme in fantasy attracts me yeah yeah because you take an idea right like in edward scissorhands a guy with Hands of scissors. It sounds stupid, Created right? Created by a creator. Yeah. Sounds, yeah. But the exaggeration of he, him not finishing his hands and putting knives in, yes. and him not finding a place, and the whole story of him trying to find a place mm. in a world that is like ridiculous. Yeah. Right. That he's surrounded in. Right. Yeah. That that's what a good fantasy writer and storyteller can do is they could take something that sounds ridiculous mm-hmm. and make it believable. Mm-hmm. So what stuck out to me was just the concept of a world being mm. created. Yeah. And that was what kind of helped me with the difference between science fiction and fantasy. The difference is 
Fantasy is an entire world. Yes, it's different. Everything Correct. is completely different. Science fiction it tends to focus on like, let's say one thing that's mm-hmm. completely different and and a reaction to that. But it's the whole world is different, and sometimes the protagonist is familiar with that. Yeah, and a lot of times the protagonist is not. Like in yes. Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. It's not like some human is transported into this world and they're like, I don't know what's going on, but the but it's a hobbit who has never stepped outside right. of the world that he knows and the fantasy is all around him. All the tales and myths are around him. And Harry Potter, it's the same way. Mm. He is just completely normal, but he's part of this world that's much bigger than himself. It's yeah. much different than what he thinks. Yeah, I think you're right, Jason. The world is is the big differentiator there. Because sci-fi, as we'll talk about in that episode, is about it's still about our world. Yeah, it seems like it it's takes more place within our world. Realism. It's more of a realism. You can see like you can look outside and imagine, like, oh yeah, like a starfighter going by or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. But like Jason said, Fantasy is its own thing. It's its own entire existence. Yeah, it's a world. And that's what makes the fantasy genre so challenging to write is you literally have to create a world. You have to do convincing world building and you have to make it believable. And that's also what attracts a lot of people, both creators and audiences to fantasy. And that's why I think they have some of the most devoted fan bases out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, we went to Megacon. How many people were dressed up as fantasy-like characters. A lot. Like elves and things like that. Well, so now I'm thinking Gotham. Is that, now that may be based on like a New York City or something, but that is a created world. Mm-hmm. So the Batman Returns, is that fantasy crime? Seriously. Yeah. No, I, I was thinking, I'm like, going to try to get Batman Returns. Batman Returns here. will be on this podcast right now. <laughs> but I get it because it was like certain Batmans, like are those considered like a fantasy? What, like, like Nolan's Batman, for example, I would say... No. Yeah. Nolan's Batman is really trying to take, even though Gotham is like a fictional place. It's Chicago. It's still, yes, exactly. It still feels like a real world thing. But Tim Burton's Batman Returns, that mm -hmm. is a fantasy version of New York City. Yeah. I would say, I would say, yeah, I would say that's the interesting thing about some of the superheroes and with Burton, with his Batman, especially with Batman Returns, even Mm. more so than his first Batman film. I do think he is leaning more into this kind of, fantasy this darker fantasy element into it right Mm -hmm. so i i think that's fair to say so comic books in general these heroes is this fantasy so if you were to read a comic book from stanley um like an like a 1960s comic book the way he's describing the comics uh as he's writing is he uh, is calling them like fantasy adventures. Mm-hmm. And adventure is a macro genre, of course, which we'll talk about. But so I think in the in the minds of a lot of the people who created comic books, I do think fantasy is what they're thinking. I think some of them might be science fiction as well. I think that's fair to say as well. Um, yeah, because I think of like the um, the Eternals and things like that. That yeah. is more like a fantasy thing. But with like the Avengers, they are still technically in like a New York or like a, right. our world. So it's like it's it's kind of fantasy within a little bit of non fantasy within yeah. that same universe. It's kind of yeah. No, I have not. I have no doubt that the the superhero, which the superhero is a macro genre, but it's such a large genre that now encompasses so much beyond just fantasy and sci fi mm. that we're doing. We have to dedicate our own episode to it because the superhero genre actually, as we're gonna see when we do it, it touches at some point 
all the other genres, which is something that not many other genres we can say that about, which makes it unique. So it seems like depending on the director or whoever's vision, you can create it into fantasy. Like I, it, I think I think start, so. Once you start exaggerating the characters yes. to a certain point, mm-hmm. then it becomes fantasy. Because you could you could look at Danny DeVito's Penguin and Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman in that film, and you could kind of shrug it off and be like, oh, you know, I prefer uh, Colin Farrell's right. Penguin and the yeah. new Batman, right? And Zoe Saldana's Catwoman or whatever. But there's something that you have to admire when you understand what they represent, right? Yeah. What they what do they embody? Uh, and Burton's a good storyteller, you know, he's, he's, you know, you could say what you will about some of his movies, but he's a good storyteller. And so he knows like when he's taking a character and he's exaggerating those features into, cause the penguin in the Batman returns is not really like the penguin in the comics. The Catwoman is kind of like the Catwoman in the comics. So he's exaggerating Mm -hmm. certain things. He's bringing it to a fantasy realm, but he has a good purpose within the story for that. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense. So I think that's what a lot of good fantasy writers do is they kind of exaggerate those things. Okay, I got a question. Then. I yeah. got a question. Um, this, this is kind of a plug question as well. Okay. So what would you guys consider my series then as someone that is creating like, their own films and things like that? What would you place in mind? So for the, historical the, fiction. Historical fiction. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, autobiography. <laughs> that is not a lie, right? Is that fair to say, autobiography? That's, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, that's actually really good. <laughs> I think that's fair. The thing I love, I love that. A, a thing, so if you guys don't know, for those of you who are listening, Joseph does stop motion films that mm-hmm. you can watch on YouTube and there'll be a link to them in the, the show notes here. Yeah. So, are. I mean, you're clearly in the superhero genre. Like that's obvious. Yeah. But there but, are, there's elements from personal experience that are put into the story kind of. Right. But I think that but happens I, with like a lot of stories in general. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. necessarily yeah, change absolutely. the genre. It's just a more personal story that you made within mm. another I, genre which i'd say is what fantasy maybe i think i think you are mostly in the fantasy sci-fi mm. realm okay because i think of what a lot of your subgenres would be yeah. your macro genres and they would fall under what those genres typically are i mean you do have a lot of action pieces as mm-hmm. well but i think you spend a lot of time building up a world yeah and i think the world building is a key fantasy thing okay right and would, would that be fair yeah. to say yeah definitely no i definitely agree with that yeah. like my the world building process is like my i feel like my main priority because you can't be immersed in the world you kind of really don't care about the characters so do you connect joseph with someone like a jrr token who literally had all these scribble papers and documents of mm. trying to conceptualize and make sense of his world to himself as yeah. he's writing no right? definitely i um before even making like uh like the films in itself i spent probably at least like five years either creating like the entire storyline so i know where everyone's going what the world look what the not just the world looks like but the universe looks like because i do like space movies within it as well yeah but like i spent the time to create what everything looks like mm-hmm. where everyone is going and then actually doing the process of actually filming it so i took yeah i i feel like i took my time to know what i'm going to be showing everybody and what they can kind of piece together because fantasy yeah fantasy is as much about the process as it is about the final product of what you create right Mm. and i think that's a key thing that you you get there i read tolkien's book he has a book called tree and leaf which is similar to the c.s lewis book 
that you read that we've talked about in here before. So with his book, Tree and Leaf, he talks about the fantasy genre, uh, or as, as he calls them, fairy stories. And so- That's funny. I'm taking this one. So here's, here's what I, I, I love about this book, right? Is he goes into, now I'm gonna just say up front, I think Tolkien is one of the greatest fantasy writers of all time. He's also a little bit of a fantasy snob in a way, because this whole book is a lot of like, well, this is fantasy and this is not. Hmm. And there's a lot of things that I disagree with that, that we, I think we all would disagree with because of where the fantasy genre has come. Mm-hmm. Because this book was written, you know, probably like 75 years ago or something like that, right? So a lot has changed since then. He goes on a big rant how he believes fantasy will never work in theater or in film. That's funny. It's hilarious Ironic. because he had no idea where it was going, <laughs> yeah. right? But so, but here, there's some interesting things that he talks about that I think will be a good segue mm-hmm. uh, in talking about examples of fantasy. There's something called pure fantasy. And this is what I think Tolkien, it's fair to say this is what Tolkien was writing. So pure fantasy is where you are literally creating the world from scratch. It is not in any way connected to our world. It is, you know- Lord of the Rings. It is Lord of the Rings, yes. Lord of the Rings is an example of pure fantasy. Mm -hmm. You're building everything from the ground up. You know, you've got hobbits, elves, um, dwarves, man. You've got these um, different entities there. You know, he says that that's fantasy in its purest form. And I, I do agree with that. Like, I do think that is... It's it's very it's obviously very difficult to do that. I mean, he went as far as creating a whole language, mm, you know, for yeah. all this. So he he and and Star Trek, same thing. That so literally wild. has a whole language of Klingon. I was gonna say, yeah. Would you consider Star Wars out of well? Because they do also have not just yeah. one but multiple mm-hmm. different languages. Yeah. So Star Wars would fall under. So I. I, would that I, be I, it took fantasy? me a while. Yeah, so it took me a while to figure out if Star Wars was fantasy or sci-fi. But if we go by this definition that it is not our world, yes, yeah. Yeah. Star Wars yeah. has to, by definition, be, be fantasy. fantasy yeah. Now, I did find out that there is something um, in in uh, a, a subgenre, a, a macro genre, or it might be a micro, um, but it's like basically the the space fantasy, right? Mm. So it's a story that uses space in order to. It create its worlds and tell its story and whatnot, yeah. right? Okay. And so Star Wars does have some cool. sci-fi elements into it. it. It's very much, it's it's a space opera. That's mm-hmm. what a lot of people call Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. So I do think Star Wars is like Lord of the Rings, a pure fantasy. Just they had the, to build that up from nothing. The Fifth Element with Bruce Willis? Yeah. I've never seen Fifth Element. That yeah. would be, that'd be that fantasy. Would be, yeah, yeah, those guys are creepy and crazy I, yeah. and out of this world. But I love that movie. <laughs> I love that movie too. I like exaggeration. It's, I think it proves points in, a, in a, an amazing way. It was really interesting to kind of just watch like how the society is in just general, just like how they made a whole world, even back then with like film directing and just like where mm. filming was at yeah. back then. I was like, oh, this is dope stuff. I love practical effects stuff. Like mm-hmm. I, I just yeah. love it. So that movie, that movie got me. Well, if you could do a fantasy film with, practical effects mm. or CGI that looks really like I still think for Lord of the Rings being like 2001, 2002, 2003, that is still some of the best CGI I've ever seen. Mm. Especially like the the motion capture for Smeagol, yeah. right? The, we'll get into the best CGI though with I guess fantasy. Jason knows what I'm talking about. Planet of the Apes? Mm, uh but yep. no, sci- yeah. that's sci-fi. That's sci-fi. No, that's yeah, sci-fi. No. We'll yeah. What? But he knows what I'm talking about. All right, we'll bet. get there. We'll bet. get there. Ah! Bet. We'll get that. <laughs> 
Can we keep talking about Batman Returns though? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm think I'm literally thinking about this though. Yeah. Because we just watched it I'm in the car on the way to Comic Con. So, so many silly bands on this. I have a lot of uh, fidgets in my hand right now. Let me get some fidgets too. Okay. Um, but He's so the penguin uh-huh. is very exaggerated, right? Yes. It's not like in the comics. It's it's mm-hmm. over the top. In the comics, he's just a mob boss, like what you see right. in um in with Colin Farrell's interpretation in the Matt Reeves film. So I'm yeah. thinking of this line at the end of the movie where he jumps on Batman and he says, "You're just jealous that I'm a genuine freak, mm. and you have to put on a mask to be a freak." Yo, yep. But if yeah. Penguin is so exaggerated to like he, this guy is an absolute freak, then that point hits home. Yep. Really strongly. I, yep. And totally so that's agree. just a really cool. It is. It's a really cool storytelling mm-hmm. device. Well, and that's why Burton Burton has a thing in his movies for the outsider, the outcast, the freak, yeah. right? Um, that's what I would argue drew him to Batman more than actually the Batman mythos itself. But it's the ability to tell these stories. I think exaggeration is just a lot of fun. It's freeing in yeah. a lot of ways because you can play with this character and then go off the page. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, right? Yeah, One, that's cool. And you can go into. I think that's what they did with Last Jedi. No, that was not exaggeration. That was just pure. <laughs> there were some things exaggerated. All right, cinematic, masterful storytelling. How about. does it always come back? To last <laughs> do we have anything? To if Ryan Johnson yeah, gets three movies to do a new Star Wars it saga, I don't think it's going to happen. It, it will turn the tide of Star Wars completely around, and it would dominate. I hike. You just want it to happen so that like we can talk about. Because I stopped watching <laughs> Listen, Mandalorian. I don't really even know what's going on in that show anymore. Hey. But give it to Ryan. Johnson I heard it. I heard it's not very good anymore. I, I've lost interest. I'm kind of liking it. I mean, the fact. I mean, here's the thing. You <laughs> might get your it. Ryan Johnson trilogy because the fact that the first Star Wars movie they're releasing since the disaster of Rise of Skywalker is a Ray movie mm-hmm. that tells you that they don't know anything and yeah. they have not learned. So that was not Ryan Johnson's character. I know. He was I given know. that. But if you give him three movies, I think Ray was her most interesting in Ryan Johnson. Oh wait, film. did you hear the rumor about how um, Ben Solo's Force Ghost impregnates Ray in the what? new movie? I did hear that rumor. You heard that rumor? I heard that. Yeah. I listen. Now we're really in fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> we have exactly. Yeah, we're in fantasy all land. Oh man! But what if we they have, do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is madness. So, so we should so, go see the Ray movie together. No, as I, long as Derek's no, there. We oh my should. gosh. We got time. <laughs> so with Lord of the Rings, um, Lord of the Rings is a quintessential fantasy experience. It also embodies something called the epic, like mm. the epic journey, right? So, and a lot of these fantasy stories embody the hero's journey in some way. Mm. And Lord of the Rings is no exception to that. But Lord of the Rings, you get all these fantasy creatures, right? You get elves, you get magic, you get dwarves, or you get man. Ants. You get orcs, hobbits, you get talking trees, you got uh, wizards, sorcerers, giant eyes that are all seeing. You know, it's the best part of it. You don't see a giant spider throughout the whole series. <laughs> That's why I'd rather watch Lord of the Rings over Harry he Potter. He could have done it, Bet. too. Oh, my goodness. I have not seen any of the Harry Potter. Dude, you're Ron Weasley. First off, I mean, he gets Hermione, so I guess that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So if Lord of the Rings... so. So there's some other categories that Tolkien gives in Tree and Leaf of talking about fantasy. And these are not like typical genres that we would speak of today, but I think they're helpful in understanding the fantasy genre. So one of them is it's another type of pure fantasy. This is called the mythological tale. So the mythological tale is where you're telling something that's set really far in the past Mm. to try to explain the world today in some way. 
So um, I think, Joe, you've seen, have you seen Princess Mononoke? No, I haven't. I have not. Have any of you guys seen that movie? Uh, maybe once when I was wee, wee little. I don't know wee if you would have seen this when you were little. It's pretty violent. Wee little. Um, don't put it past me. Yeah. <laughs> Princess, okay, so I'm going to make a bold statement. I think Princess Mononoke is the single greatest fantasy film ever released. Is it an anime? Wow. It's an anime, yes. Okay. Um, but it, 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 it take, it's this, it's this pure mythological fantasy tale done where literally in one film, they build a convincing world with a very allegorical tale about the tension between humanity and nature. And it's, it's stunning. So if you haven't seen Princess Mononoke, I've also talked about it in the Studio Ghibli episode. It is my top ranked Studio Ghibli film. Um, but a lot of the Studio Ghibli films are fantasy films, right? Okay. Which I got to give a shout out to Jason because Jason, he got me into the Studio Ghibli panel at Megacon. He's yeah, self-sacrificed. He, really? Uh, <clears throat> it was it was a leap of faith. He had to go take that. <laughs> Did you hear that story, Joe? No, I didn't hear the story. So we were in line for that panel and literally they were going to, you know, this panel, they were going to show like the whole process of how they make these films, right? Uh-huh. So in terms of like doing the backgrounds and this layer of animation yeah. cells and this, right? And showing never before seen like concept art and the original art and from Miyazaki and stuff. Okay. So we were in line and we get up to the line and there's like two people ahead of us and they say, sorry, we're full. There's like a group of three or four. Yeah, yeah. And say, and I'm like really bummed because I really want to go to this panel. Dearie. I know. The lady comes out and says, we have room for one more. Jason oh. pushes me to the front Good. and says, this guy's like obsessed. He needs to go in there. Oh, Jason's and such a nice I friend. Know. That's why we can't pick on Jason. Yeah, we can. It's <laughs> <laughs> the whole point of friendship. I'll pick back. <laughs> Give me a purple band. No, I was like, no. he has to go. I like had to, I felt, I felt very, um, no, it was a little different, but I, I reminded me of Enter the Spider-Verse. I'm like, you gotta go home. You gotta man. go home. That's what one. Yeah, yeah. So I owe Jason that because that was a, a beautiful experience. I cried. I cried twice while I was you in there. Did I did cry. I did cry twice in there. Um, to because, let people know, I was I was just taking pictures with random people. Joe that's was okay. Joe was <laughs> not low, at the You panel. were a low key celebrity at Megacon. <laughs> the amount of people that walked around and asked for your picture. Well, he, he walked around for I was, you asked I, pictures. Yeah, no, he, he I was them. I was about three hours asking people for pictures. Nick was with me for a bit. Yep. Uh, and then they went to go do panel stuff. And you got I, so many pictures, I felt that I missed out on the whole event because I did not get pictures like you. Nancy was like, you need to take pictures. And I said, okay, babe. I learned how to do <laughs> Megacon and now you got, yep. from Joe. You got him. Got to get the pictures in. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of those Ghibli films are fantasies. Um where they have to craft that world. Now, in addition to the mythological uh, fantasy, one more that would be considered a pure fantasy is what's called the morality tale. Hmm. But we might know them as fairy tales. Hmm. So fairy tales, most of the Hmm. time, they might take place in something that resembles our world, but they're still in its own thing at the end of the day. But they're fantasy stories that are specifically created to impart some sort of moral, right? Yeah. So we've done the Disney episode, so a lot of the Disney films are going to count for that. So you're going to yeah. have your Snow White, 
your Sleeping Beauty, your Little Mermaid. But you're also gonna have like Red Riding Hood and things like yes, that too, right? Yes, yes, oh. absolutely, like, right? Um, what's it called, Humpty Dumpty. Hansel and Gretel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hansel Jack and, and Gretel. Jack and Jill, they went up the hill to fetch a pill of water. Would Let's that be considered or is that just a nursery rhyme? That's a nursery rhyme. Oh, okay. but- so, so the Shrek universe is the entirety of all those but with irony and satire. Yeah. So you, so you remember the remember the spectrum, right? Uh, Nick and Jason, when we did the <laughs> metaphysical journey episode, where we did the spectrum between comedy and drama. So Joe, just to catch you up, Joe, we talked about how comedy and genre, according to this book, are not genres in and of themselves. Okay. They're actually spectrums that every single story falls on. Okay. So any story you can put and drop in the spectrum, and mm-hmm. you could say it's 66% comedy 33% drama right yeah. shrek would fall under that so shrek would fall under not just a morality tale but also a a fantasy that leans more towards satire and yeah. satire is very popular in fantasy right you've mm. got monty python have you guys ever yeah. seen monty python no uh-huh. look, I, I, I was uh, ready to talk about it if it ever came up yeah here's so, your chance yeah yeah this is your talk chance right it. so monty python shrek um, Good fun movie. Lost your chance. Yeah, yeah. The, the, these are these are satires here. But what I like is that, that. So what I liked about Monty Python and the Holy Grail, much like a great movie called Tenet, is they use a oh concept called inversion. Inversion. So it's the they start at fantasy and this uh-huh. world that's created and they drag it back down to reality. That's not inversion. That's subversion. Subversion. Whatever. <laughs> Tenet, Tenet is still a good movie. Tenet. Guys, Tenet is still a good movie. Tenet is still a good movie. Don't, don't let my Oh, wait. Nice try trying to bring Tenet into this. Leave that garbage movie out of this conversation. I don't know. If it, if it starts from reality and goes to fantasy, <laughs> this one go, starts to fantasy and goes to reality. Well, I love, I'm making stuff Monty up. Monty Python's hilarious. Reality, so my my favorite part is, is the rabbit. The rabbit? The rabbit. Yeah, yeah. well, that, that's everyone's favorite. We're talking I, about Alice in Wonderland now? No, so we'll get there. Or so Wonderland and Monty the Python Gorks? and the Holy Grail. To give you a picture of it, it's like a medieval fantasy movie, but it starts off for these two guys riding horses above a hill. And the okay. and you hear this, the coconut. Oh, I remember you guys coming this. Of, yeah, of the horses, but it's and they coconuts. come up and it's just like clapping yeah. coconuts together, and <laughs> they're talking as if like this is a completely normal thing. And the guys like, "What are you doing? You're not riding a horse. You're putting two coconuts together." And like. It's just digging right into like, this is not real. This is dumb. They even go so far as like, they're running away from this monster and it's about to kill him. And then they go, and then the animator had a stroke. And they show the guy, the the desk just keel over. And then the monster fades. It breaks the fourth wall a lot. Yeah. It's like, it it completely destroys the world that it creates. So it's kind of like Harold uh, Harold and Kumar. So Joe, Monty Python. Is that a fantasy? I don't consider it a fantasy. Monty Python is what I would call the ultimate troll movie. It's a troll movie. Literally, the movie doesn't have an ending. It just stops. The characters get... It just stops, and it's a blank screen for five minutes, and then the movie's over. It's a troll movie. I feel like that would frustrate me. Yeah, the characters are about to go get the thing that they've been singing the whole time, and there's been like... I don't know. Spoilers. Spoilers. We've been spoiling it. British police are like... (laughs) catching up to them because they commit all these crimes and murders which like there's a literal film crew that it that starts to come in on on screen yeah one of the cameramen gets like his head cut off by one of the one of the knights he just runs by and goes ah and then 
many scenes later you see like a police cars pull up and like there's a woman crying and they're like trying to investigate this and at the end of the movie they're about to go in they're about to, the to get the holy grail with the whole movies after come up and they put them in handcuffs and put them in the car and take them away and that's it so that is the ending that is the the, the ending it's just but you hear nothing about them, that's it. But that, but that's what's funny about Monty Python is you basically, after you watch it, you realize, oh, they were just LARPing. Yeah. They were just pretending. It's like, this is you all. Like, like this isn't. Oh, Comic-Con. LARPing. Comic-Con, oh, take it too yeah. far. Yes, exactly. Is. It's where you, you dress up like, like, like fantasy like, characters. Yeah, like, and you go out and you actually like battle. and You actually. That's what that movie is. Live action. I, yeah. yeah. Except Live for the rabbit. Movie. I don't know. I can't explain that one. I can't explain. The, the rabbit is the best part. I cry laughing every time I watch that movie. And the Holy With the rabbit. We should go LARPing. I'd like to go. No. <laughs> tend to go fight people. No. <laughs> that sounds fun. I'd rather con- contain it to but the warehouse. You brought up, you, you <laughs> brought, warehouse. So you brought up Shrek too. Shrek's a good one because Shrek is kind of a, a subversion uh, of the morality tale in a way because Shrek is very much a morality tale, mm-hmm. right? But it is also satirizing the fairy tales. The best to- entry of that film, the, uh, the what's it called, the film franchise is Puss in Boots 2, though. See, I haven't seen Puss in Boots you 2, but I've heard it's so need good. To go see it. you, I, have I, you seen it? No. You need to go see it. Yeah, I want to see it. It's on Peacock, though, so okay. we can go watch it tonight. We should go watch it tonight. I'd watch that movie tonight. That's a good movie. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's cool. And I, I love Shrek 2. Shrek 2 is my favorite one. High key. Shrek 2 is great. But yeah, so. I'll take the first one. Yeah, no, first, first one's one good, good too. Yeah, no, I, I like so, that it, it makes fun of it, but it also like celebrates it at the same time. Exactly. Kind of like the last No, Jedi. stop. No, <laughs> I was going to say. I was going to say. Not like the last Jedi. Wow. Oh, we should have bought. Where is it? I was gonna say we don't have any more. <laughs> uh, we're out of booze. So no, I, I do. I do mean that thought though. Like it. It like it kind of lampoons a lot that have already been made. Like the gingerbread man is like has his legs broken. The guy's messing around with him. <laughs> That's in the second one. That's, That's in the first, in the first one. one. The first one. Yeah. 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 First one's really good. Yeah. There's yeah. all these other tales that just like so, they're they they're all different or like made like super realistic. Like oh I, yeah, it's I, Sleeping Beauty. I, she's I want to show my kids Shrek so bad, but one of the things that makes Shrek work so well is when you know all the other stories, all the other fairy tales. So I'm Mm -hmm. actively introducing them, which has been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of fun. My brother got them the, the Grimm's fairy tales that are uncensored. So we've been doing a few of those too. The Grimm ones? So so would so would Shrek the brothers Grimm? So would Shrek be the Infinity War of the morality tales (laughs) universe? I mean, that's, that's what the That's fair to say. They right? all accumulate. Yeah. They literally you all have come to read all those to understand this. So listen, Shrek oh, came out when I was the perfect age. <laughs> so Shrek, Shrek came out when I think I was seven years old and I was obsessed with fairy tales. Uh, how old are you? How old am I now? Yeah. Uh, 31. Oh, uh, what? So when it came out when I was like seven and it was the perfect time because seeing all those fairy tales on screen, I might've been eight to be fair. I might've been eight. But seeing all those fairy tales on screen in one movie was mind-blowing to me. Huh. Like, it was like my Infinity War. Wow. It was, as a kid. It was huge. Hmm. But I have a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun teaching my kids these fairy tales. It's interesting, you know, like when you experience fairy tales through kids. Yeah. And seeing their reactions to them, seeing what they take from them, which is 
really fascinating. Like Jack and the Beanstalk has always been one of my favorites. But then you get Addy saying, why is Jack stealing everything? <laughs> and it's a good thing. Because it's a cold well, run, no blanket out here. Well, <laughs> well, to be fair, the giant took it first. And so Jack's just trying to get it back. Okay, daddy. So why does Jack kill the giant? Well, the giant no represents, right? Then you have to start getting into all that, all that stuff. And you realize that they are kind of messed up, some of them. A lot of them. They are. They are. Oh, yeah. But again, it's what Nick said earlier. They're exaggerated. Mm -hmm. You know, like they all, they represent something. The symbolism in these stories is very, very high. Like one of my favorites is Snow White because Mm. I love the story of Snow White that you have the queen who wants to be fairest of them all. And obviously she's getting older, so she's not. She's, she needs to make way for the next generation and she refuses to. She's mm. trying to have uh, I- I- eternal life in a sense. She's trying to be immortal. And in order for her to be the fairest of, of them all, she literally has to take a potion. She has to create something that pollutes her humanity so she can't see her own beauty because she's aging. So she has to become this gross hag of a witch in order to try to become fairest. All the while, she doesn't realize that she's dehumanizing herself, right? In order to try to, to kill the innocent youth of Snow White. Because Snow White represents that purity, that innocence. And uh, before the world kind of comes and taints and makes you insecure, right? So that's what I love about these morality, these fairy tales. Yeah, that was really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be watching Tenet with my kids. Derek, <laughs> <laughs> you're a good dad. <laughs> but, uh, well, that's what, I, but that's what I try to teach, help yeah. my kids see is like it's not just, <clears throat> just a cool story. There's actually something it's trying to say. Yeah. Right? So that's why I like Snow White. That's why you, you can go deep with all these, these fairy tales and, and see that. One thing that I really like with with Shrek is that he's actually it starts with a guy who's disillusioned to the morality tales to the whole fairy tale. Right, like right. It starts with him going to the bathroom and reading this book and goes, "That's not going to happen." And he uses it to wipe. He uses the page to wipe his butt. He doesn't care. Yep. Yep. He's like, "I'm going to stay in here. I don't care about no world outside of myself. I don't care about mm-hmm. any wonder or anything. I want to stay in my swamp and live in a hut and in the mud." Right. But he. His life becomes that, and he sees the wonder of the world. Well, I don't think he sees too much wonder, but but he sees outside of yeah what he's got around absolutely, him. and he goes to appreciate and love these exaggerated characters that are around him. So maybe it's even about Donkey. him exploring yeah. the right. fairy tales and the morality tales. So, oh, so I like an, that. Mm. So, yeah, no, that's and good. Finding like meaning in them. Well, another example okay. of that. So Shrek's an avatar for all of us. Yeah. 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 I think that's fair to say. He's oh. like, I don't care about this. Yeah. I have no place in this. This doesn't concern or bother me at all. I don't need to know about this. And the movie's like, well, let's just see. You're going to love these no, characters. that's good. Mm-hmm. You're going to see yourself in these characters. So keep going you know another story that kind of does that too but instead it is satire but it kind of but it's more on the dramatic side than the comedy side and that's into the woods have you guys ever seen into the woods the player the, player, the uh, yeah film? i saw the movie okay but i saw it like a long time ago but it is like very exaggerated 
Like with it, isn't it like all the stories combined? Yes. Okay. Which I so I saw Into the Woods. That was the first play I ever saw. It was in fifth grade. We went on a field trip to Fallbrook, California, Joseph. Oh, look at that! And California. So, yeah. So you don't like that place? I don't. <laughs> our our native land. Yeah. So Into the Woods though is interesting. So people either love Into the Woods or they hate it. Because it's very what you call a postmodern tale. It's like the Last Jedi of fairy tales. Ah, see. Um, so we should be hammered. So the first half of Into the Woods is exactly what you described, Jason. Where there's kind of an avatar for experiencing all the fairy tales, and that's the baker and his wife. Mm-hmm. So you experience yeah. Jack and the Beanstalk, Little Red Riding Hood, um, Rapunzel, and Cinderella. Right? Those mm-hmm. are the four in there and then you get to the halfway point and all those stories reach their happily ever after and then the whole second half of the film which people either love or hate doesn't, i i actually really love it, it throw it like in like reverse or something like that or kind like, of yeah okay it I'm, throws I'm remember basically it. there's something that happens to where um the giant wakes up uh the giant that they thought was killed wakes up and there's like this big earthquake and it changes everything. And so the whole second half of Into the Woods is about deconstructing all those fairy tales hmm. and, and subverting your expectations. So for example, spoiler alert. Um, so for example, we find that because Cinderella and Prince Charming barely knew each other, we learned that Prince Charming wasn't really in love with her and was lusting after her. And so the moment he gets an opportunity to pursue another woman, he cheats on her, Mm. right? And so you find that there's this, yeah, like what you said, there's kind of like a reversal that happens. And literally in the second half, they just start killing off people. Yeah, Yeah. Like literally this person dies, then this person dies. And literally you have the fractured splinters of all these fairy tales that have to basically go and create a new story. And then doesn't the, I think, spoiler um, uh-huh. alert, if this is true, doesn't the wife die as well with like the baker? They kill off the yeah. the, the, the co-lead character, mm-hmm. which is insane, right? Yeah, I got to I gotta rewatch that movie. I did remember like- I love did. Into I, the Woods. It's my memories. last Jedi for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Because a lot of people hate it for the same reasons as Last Jedi, yeah. but I, I like it. Because I like exploring hap- what happens after Happily Ever After. But I like it. But again, I'll make the same argument I've made before. Into the Woods is its own continuity and its own thing. Oh. It's not the definitive canon of all fairy tales ah. like Last Jedi is. Ah. But anyways. Until they rewrite it with like time travel and Star Wars. because Yeah, a Star Wars multiverse. You find out the Last Jedi yeah, was an alternate. Yep, yeah, you definitely know that's coming. If they there. did that, Last Jedi might get redeemed for me. That, that might be how it happens. If it's just a what <laughs> if story. If it's, <laughs> if it's just a what if, right? I might, I might be able to take it there. Oh, that's but funny. So, so Star Wars, it says it's in, yep. a, uh, in a galaxy long ago, far, far away. That, yeah, that is weird. That Somehow is weird to think Star that Star Wars, Wars to... actually takes place in the past I mean, for our look, time. I mean, when you look in the, uh, in the sky, all the stars that you see are actually like have been dead and dormant for like, a long true. time. So. Yeah, no, gonna, that's a good point. They're going to have some messenger come from the past 
to our world and hand us like and sit down in George Lucas's couch and tell him a story about all this stuff and then yeah. that's when it ends forever. <laughs> Would you be satisfied with that ending, Derek? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what I would If I'd the be baby of with. Ray and Ben Solo comes to George Lucas in the present and says, These this is what happened with the Skywalker trilogy or the Skywalker. No, I would saga. not be satisfied. <laughs> So a lot of these fantasy stories are about wish fulfillment in some way, right? They're, the wish fulfillment piece is, is really big there. Now, all these stories that we've talked about so far, these are what Tolkien would call pure fantasy. Now, these, are, these other types of stories are things that Tolkien kind of poo-pooed on in his book. He said, well, these are not real fantasy. They're poser fantasy. I don't agree with him here, but I'll share with you guys and see what you guys think. So one of the famous disputes, because you guys know J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were friends, right? Yeah. So one of their famous disputes and arguments that they had was with C.S. Lewis creating the Chronicles of Narnia series. <laughs> because Lewis wanted to create what's called a travel tale. So a travel tale is where you have someone in our real world, you start there, and then somehow through magic, they get to the fantasy world, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then by the end, they go, they most likely will go back to the real world. So everything that happens in the fantasy world is real. It really happens. It just doesn't happen in the real world. So Tolkien really chided Lewis for this. He did not think that it was a good idea for Lewis. He thought that Lewis was doing a cop-out by mm. having his Narnia series be travel tales. But I would argue that it explores a different dimension of fantasy, right? Because that is what the fantasy genre for an audience is meant to do. We are meant to go play in the fantasy world when we read these books, when we watch these films, right? And then we come back to the real world and we take something of value. And that's like what Chronicles of Narnia does is it's these characters who were in World War II yeah. that they were they 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 didn't have there was nothing that was in their control, right? The planes were bombing the cities around them and all they were do was stuck they were stuck at their relatives house and then they go to this magical realm of narnia where they realize they can be brave yeah and they learn how to find courage and then that helps them to navigate this really chaotic world that they find themselves in right especially as young people mm -hmm. And so that's what Lewis was writing is he's writing a story for young people of how can we navigate a world that seems beyond out of our control. And, and Lewis's argument is that fantasy helps us do that. We go to fantasy, we take something of value, we come back to the real world and we're not the same. We're changed as people. That's what he really loves about that genre. And so, so what, what was Tolkien's definition? Tolkien is more pure fantasy. <clears throat> like it has to be a, its own world in and of itself. Lewis had this other perspective which I think Lewis's perspective is illustrating what fantasy is to us right, in yeah. our world, right? right? So what are your guys' thoughts on that? And even Narnia in general, like have you guys read those books or seen those films? Yeah, I've, I've seen all of the films. Okay. And honestly, I hadn't thought of it, but that's a pretty meta way to look at it. Like they're, they're, the viewers or like the people who are experiencing fantasy are also in it and they're affected by it. I didn't think of it like that. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of times it's hard for me to like think too far in depth to that movie because I just sit and it's a spectacle and it's fun. Yeah, I've oh, seen and it is a spectacle so many times that it's almost boring. Yeah, I, I've seen it a lot too. That movie, I mean, <clears throat> people don't know how big that movie was. Like in two thousand five, that there was because there was a fantasy boom. I would say the fantasy mm-hmm. peak. In terms of film, because then was, Percy Jackson come was out around the that 2000s. Yeah, as, Percy, as a book or a movie. Because I remember, that, well, I that's when the all book. the films were really yeah. coming out. Was that 2000 to 2008, 2009? It's when a lot of these big fantasy films were really in their stride. But that first Chronicles of Narnia film, I I still love it. I think it's a great adaptation of the book. I love the books. I mean, nothing compares to the books, but. Um, I think it's, I, I don't think the other two movies are as good though. Um, I do think they really hit it with Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. But now apparently Netflix is making a Narnia series. Netflix so. is going to go bankrupt. <laughs> it's all right. They got rid of Megamind. They're downhill from here. Yeah, high key. They're, they're going down. Oh man. It, but, sound, it sounds like C.S. Lewis is doing fantasy adventure. I think that's fair to say. Because the characters are going on an adventure into a fantasy realm and yeah. they come back. So it sounds like Tolkien has a point, um, but the elements still apply in C.S. Lewis. He's taking everything that Tolkien is talking about and, and making his own. Yeah. And Tolkien's just saying, I prefer just a pure fantasy. Right. But then he gets off when he says, well, this is the only way to do it. Yeah. yeah. But it sounds like C.S. Lewis is doing fantasy adventure. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. I think a lot of fantasy adventures operate like that as well. Because Narnia is not the only one that does this. So here's another one that does it. It's another fantasy adventure. And it does it in a little bit more of a subtle way. Because mm. Narnia, there's a clear break between when you are in the real world and when you're in the fantasy world. Yeah. And it's the wardrobe, right? Yeah. But a movie where it's not as much of a clear break and it's a little blurry, or I should say a series, is Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in the real world and you see like, okay, this is like colonial British times, Mm -hmm. right? And then you see this pirate that shows up. And you're like, that's kind of odd, but I guess there were pirates back mm-hmm. then, so okay. And then the but pirate you, turned into a skeleton. Yeah, as you go further <laughs> and further into that first film, you find you're becoming more immersed in a sort of fantasy realm that's overlapping with the real world. Yeah. And that's what a lot of, I think, fantasy adventures do, right? Yeah. I'm trying to think of other fantasy adventure movies. Well, let's stay on Narnia and Pirates for a sec, for okay. a bit, because, Good. right? So you guys Good. have seen the Pirates films. We've talked about them in one of our Why We Loves. Yeah. I feel like low-key Inception kind of could be fantasy adventure. It could be. I feel like what Tolkien would be mad at is like this whole fantasy um, movie, and then they yeah. wake up and it's a dream at the end. Oh, okay. Yes. And so, so I, think, I okay. think what I'm saying is I think Tolkien would hate Inception. So, no, no, yes. no. So, Nick, <laughs> Nick, that was good, you, Nick. Yeah. you are 100% right. Because he sat up in his chair. People. In no, that, I did not. In no, that no, no, book, no, Tree and Leaf. Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> yes, that, he did. In that book, Tree and Leaf, he says that, that what you just described is a, a wake up and the whole story was a dream. Yeah. He said it is the biggest insult yeah. to yeah. fantasy. It was yes. all a dream. I used to read Word of a Man. He says, because he says, now let me get your take on this, all right? Okay. He says, to tell a really compelling, believable story, and then to say within the story that the story is a lie, is the ultimate betrayal of the audience. Yeah, mm. I feel like I, I lean towards him. And I was leaning towards him as you were describing it before with C.S. Lewis. I was thinking he hates the idea of it just being, you wake up and the whole movie's over and he... 
It was all a dream. Yeah, 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 so yeah. one of the biggest examples of this, yeah. and he talks about this in the book, because one of the most famous fantasy stories of all time is this dream tale. Mm. It's Alice in Wonderland. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'd have to Man, go back and see that. So I would say that Narnia doesn't really betray that because it was real. It, it, yes, even yeah. that's my point when too. they go back to the other world and all that time has passed, but they've seen evidence of themselves mm -hmm. in the history mm -hmm. of that world. It's cr kind of crazy to come back and you have been dead so long in that realm mm -hmm. that there's you're a myth. You're, which I think it's crazy. You're mentally, what's it called? When they came back in the first movie, they were mentally probably like in their 30s. But when they came back, they were still like 15, 14, like mm -hmm. 13 year right, olds. Right, right, right. That's a wild concept. You lived a whole life already, and then you got to go back. To be honest, I couldn't do it. I already feel like I've lived enough already. And to live and then come back and be <laughs> like, wait. And so they do come back, right? Through yeah, some of the yeah. other the books and whatnot. But then there's something that happens. So the last book is called The Last Battle. And that's where it's basically the book of Revelation for Narnia, where it's, you know, the end, right? Yeah. And so for the last battle, what's interesting is, and this is good, this is good to talk about with this fantasy, because three of the kids, so Peter, um, Edmund, and Lucy, they come back for the last battle, even though they're adults, right? Mm. So they come back and it's the last battle is this great reunion where all the characters all the human characters from the real world and all the fantasy characters from Narnia all come together for the final conflict, right? Oh, wow. There's one person who does not show up and it's Susan. And as the, everybody's asking why. And Aslan says that Susan left, he, she no longer saw value. In, the fan in Narnia, in the mm -hmm. fantasy world, right? She basically grew up, she moved on. Mm -hmm. And what they imply in that book is that she is no longer, she's lost her faith. Mm. Because if, wow. if Narnia and Aslan is an allegory for um, the spiritual journey and coming to Jesus and all that, right? Yeah. So it implies in Last Battle that Susan loses when she loses her faith in the fantasy world of Narnia and Aslan, right? Mm. She in the real world loses Love her faith in Christ. Yeah. Mm. So that's an interesting concept Lewis explains there of this idea that your, your connection with something like the fantasy, because Lewis believed that that actually helps us, it grounds our faith. Mm -hmm. He talks about Christ as the true myth. He talks about, you know, we look at all the myths of history and we see that there are these glimmers uh, that are pointing yeah. ultimately to the light of Christ, right? They're reflecting that light in some way. Yeah. And so Lewis's argument, which I think is brilliant and I totally agree with it, is that we don't look at those myths and we poo-poo them and ride them off and say they're just rubbish. We say, no, myth speaks to what is real and what is true, Right. And when you look at those myths as just silly nonsense, you're going to be tempted to look at God and Christ and spiritual things in that same way as well. Yeah, no, even what you're saying, like, um, like fantasy kind of helps ground our faith like that. Like that's I believe that because in a sense, it's like to believe in these concepts, to believe what like the Bible speaks of even 
with the descriptions of just like angels and like how God is and, and his throne head mm-hmm. and things like that. That could be a wild, that's just kind of like a wild yeah. concept. If you people. don't believe that, then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it it is a sense of just like, because with the spirit, we only see in part anyways, but it does help us to understand that. I feel like even with comic books as well, just like that type mm-hmm. of aspect mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So no, I think that's really cool. Well, and I think it's interesting that the th- three of the biggest fran- fantasy franchise, like if you ask somebody like, what are the biggest fantasy f- series of all time? They're probably going to say Lord of the Rings. They're probably going to say Chronicles of Narnia. And they're probably going to say Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And all three of those were written by Christians. Mm-hmm. Harry Potter is written by a Christian? Mm-hmm. What about... um? So I, I was trying to sit here and think about well, how, other what, did pure, Harry Potter is an incredibly Christian story. I, I'm sorry if that offends no, no, no. people talking, out there, I'm talking, but it is. J.K. Rowling. Yeah, like, that's I what I'm thinking of too. Know. Go read, read about her. No, but like, did she? Just, I mean, I can't speak for her faith. Did she, Susan? I, I yeah. can't. <laughs> yeah, I like, listen, I can't speak for her faith now. Like, right? Yeah. I don't know. But back but then, I know. She, well, I know that she has said how influential her Christian background was, oh. and she even mm. cites Tolkien and Lewis oh. as big influences on Harry Potter. But yeah, and mm. I think Harry Potter. That's if, interesting. Those stories are incredibly Christian. And I know if if you're not a Christian and you hear that, that might offend you. But the (laughs) themes of them, especially the last one, I mean, you literally have a character that has to die and resurrect in order to defeat the the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get more on the nose than that. What What other pure fantasy stories are out there that like are really famous? Like, cause I was thinking, like, in terms of one-offs or like a no, series so like, as so a whole. Like, no, so like with Tolkien, he was a purist at heart. But I feel like nowadays everything has kind of muddled. Yeah, like there's there's mixed genres and everything that comes out. So you have Harry Potter, Chronicles of Narnia that do the overlap. Yeah. yeah, and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. I was, yeah. You know, so what are the pure ones? Are there? I would think Star Wars is a pure. Yeah. One. I, yep. Yeah. I agree. Um, I, I agree. How to train your dragon. So aside from mm. animated. But like, but that's still like well, Vikings and things like that. So that's still grounded in realism. There are dragons, but that's still in our legends and things like that too. So that's not really an entirely own world. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, I mean, honestly, Treasure Planet. Oh no, yeah, Treasure Planet. I feel like Tolkien. Would I think be, Treasure Planet would. Be I mean, a, yeah. a space fantasy. I mean, yeah. honestly, Treasure Planet's a pure fantasy. Yeah. In 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 terms of films and whatnot, and movie. it is. I mean, you'd have to probably go further back to a lot of books. Yeah, because pure fantasy has been around as a genre mm-hmm. for a long time, but you'd probably so you'd probably have to go back and really explore that through novels and and books and whatnot. Because I mean, I would argue, I even if they didn't believe they were fantasy at the time, this is what the the Greek myths are. Mm-hmm. The Greek myths are morality tales. Right, yeah. they're that mythological where they're going really far back to yeah. try to explain why things are the way they are now. Mm-hmm. So I think like fantasy is one of the oldest genres, and I mean, if you haven't like t- to anyone out there, if you haven't like studied or read or or there's actually a show on Amazon Prime where they literally like with these cool animations do the Greek myths, mm. and they're awesome. Really? Yes. What is it called? I think you just just type in like Greek, Greek myths on Amazon Prime and it comes up. But it's cool because like the Odyssey, which I think the Odyssey is one of the greatest stories ever written. It, it, if the Odyssey had not been written, we wouldn't have superheroes. We wouldn't have mm. 
high fantasy, like right? Yeah. The Odyssey is a pure fantasy story told as pure fantasy yeah. um, and not just as religion. You could literally, do, they have the Odyssey on there where each episode does a different piece of, okay, of the Odyssey. Yeah, and so I, 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 Tori and I will watch them when we have no, no, nothing else that we know to watch. We'll, we'll throw one on. And they're just, they're so cool because they're stories, like great fantasy stories, they're ultimately about what it means to be human. So that's, that's what I love about them. Well, but here's one that I could give you as another example, Nick. So this is another category of fantasy. It's called the beast fable. So these are pure fantasies as well. Will, but the, yeah, go ahead. We'll say, will we ever get back to pirates? Because we did not. <laughs> we can. Yeah, that's fine. Let me, let me, yeah, cla- beast, let me clarify this real quick for Nick since he brought it up. So the beast fable is essentially where humans are not the center of the story in the world. Um, it's talking animals, talking beasts, right? Not as they're they're just mere characters in there, but they are the central characters. So the Lion King is an example of a beast fable, okay. right? So I guess those, I mean, Tolkien would not call those pure fantasies. He would give them their own category of beast fable. Because to Tolkien, a pure fantasy- <laughs> well, It sounds like Tolkien only considers the Lord of the Rings a pure <laughs> fantasy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> come on, Tolkien. Because <laughs> Tolkien's whole thing for fantasy is that it has to be centered around a human protagonist. Okay. So a beast fable okay. would not be a human protagonist, but he still said it has its own merit, right? He mm-hmm. didn't say it's bad. Mm-hmm. He just said it's not pure fantasy. But it's it's a- It's not pure, pure. But Beast Fable, you know, that that is an example of a, a world, you know, where you got talking animals and stuff. So Lion King, I think, is one of the best uh, Beast Fables, you know. The fact that Disney, most Disney Fox films mm-hmm. are adaptations like, yeah. of fairy tales, mm-hmm. but the Lion King is them crafting their own. Rango. And I got to say. Yeah, Rango. Rango. Yep. Yeah, Rango's yeah, another one. Rango's, yes, exactly. Yeah. Although I would argue Rango is a Western. I was going to yeah. say the same yeah, thing. Yeah, it's definitely a Western. So when we get to our Western episode, Rango's a good one to, Rango to bring up Rango and Django. <laughs> Rango and Django, exactly. Yeah, top two modern Westerns. Honestly, there's the only ones I'm going to be talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Um, did you want to say something about pirates though? Since we're we're still kind of in this, we did right, Joe. Listen, I'm here. I'm ready for it. Come so on. so, Joe, did you watch and finish <laughs> Dead Men Tale No Tales? I have only watched the first three, and I remember a bit of the fourth a little bit. But I, when I said earlier that the best CGI would have to go to Pirates of the Caribbean because mm-hmm. of Davy oh. Jones. Just, just the how he looks. Uh-huh. Oh my goodness. Yeah, honestly, I feel like the pirates have like the best. Th- that is an exaggerated character. Yeah. And done so well. Yeah. Uh, that is also an exaggerated take. Uh, but he's just so dope. Ah, with the pinnacle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well, Nick, do you, you like these films? It. No, I do. I like, I like the first one. I like uh, the first one And too. I think I like the second one a little bit too. I haven't seen them in a long time, but the first one I do enjoy a lot. The first one reminds me of like I think childhood in some way. I think I was yeah, sick. That's fair. Or mm. I think I had like uh my wisdom teeth taken out and mm. I was just drugged up and watching Pirates of the Caribbean. It's so <laughs> the best way to watch. When I when those <laughs> when those, like but when those get put on, it's like it's like an, just an escape and it really is an and escape. I like those. Yeah. Well, but the uh, but only the first one. And the second one I do remember liking a little bit too, but the third one I stopped watching in that one. Really? And then I never watched the other ones. Because the third, I'd say I like the first one. I like the second one more. Mm -hmm. Uh, The third one is pretty good. And they start, they do start to fall off uh, after the third one. 
But I will say that the fourth and the fifth, they still have the same elements of the Pirates series that I like. And what I like about this is there is depth in it, but also there's just spectacle and it's just yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. There's stupid things it's that happen that are like, fun. this is ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, Disney. Um, I feel like that's something Disney would say. What? I mean, swashbuckling fun. No, swashbuckling is actually, <laughs> is that's actually a... Yeah. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's part of adventure, yeah. Oh, yeah. forgive my rude. So like Indiana <laughs> forgive Jones, my rude you know, stuff like that. No, I would even say like the second one is like the movie that you would watch multiple times. Like if mm-hmm. I feel like watching a Pirates of the Caribbean uh-huh. movie, I'd watch the second one. I feel like, yeah, like the third one, it kind of went off the rails in a sense, but it wrapped everybody's characters well. Like their their story arcs throughout the three movies, so I'm like I'm I was cool with the whole pirate lore, like the just the randomness of like all the pirate stuff, like the sea creatures, um, the curses. I loved it, but again, kind of like with Nick, after the see, third one, I stopped watching see, them. Even there's two things that can make your fantasy fall apart. If we think of fantasy films Sequels. that are not very good, <laughs> so one of them I would say is cracks in the world building. Mm. So like obviously fantasy anything can take place but you still have to develop an internal logic within the world, world and if yeah. there's inconsistencies right yeah. like so like you know Leia all of a sudden being a, a force her force mm-hmm. thing in last Jedi right mm-hmm. that that was like wait you just invented a power out of nowhere right yeah. Yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> But so that's one is in, inconsistencies in the world building. And the, and the other one, <laughs> the other one, Joe, that you just brought up is characters. Yeah. If you lose connection with your characters, it doesn't matter if you have a good world. And I feel like that's what kind of, would happen with like the pirates, because like with um, uh, Johnny Depp, he wasn't really like giving it his best after it. And like he was that kind was, of phoning it in. Yeah. A bit. Like and with that, it's kind of like, OK. He was the best thing about Pirates, and now it's all kind of just downhill with these new characters, these new, like, end-of-the-week villains. Is Orlando Bloom in the other ones? No, they're not. He's yeah. uh, he's at the he's end. The last one. Yeah, he's in, it. he's in there for two minutes because the curse got lifted. And he, he didn't ran. see the end, so. Actually, I did, I did watch that part of it, but there's an end credit scene with that, too. But it's still just like he's in it for, like, two minutes. Like, we're, like, for a hugging scene. Like, mm-hmm. this kind of broke everything after that. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, I honestly had no problem with him not existing anymore ever. Like, he did, at first I was upset that he came into the fifth movie. I'm like, get out of here. You're, we're, we're finished with you. For me, it could have ended at three, epi- uh, at the first three movies. It could have ended and been good and just, oh, we're going to see the Fountain of Youth. Oh, wait, no, Jack stole it. Aha, got you again. Jason, to sale. that's a good point you bring up because... One of the detriments to fantasy stories is when they go overstay their welcome. Yeah, you don't. And they go it. on too long. So, like, you've got Lord Star of the Star Wars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, Agreed. SpongeBob. God, I don't think so, bro. But SpongeBob needed to end. Yes, but I agree. But another example, though, like Look again, going back to Lord of the Rings, you have three films mm-hmm. which are considered to be three of the greatest fantasy films of all time. I mean, Return of the King, I think, still to this day, is one of the only fantasy films ever to win Best Picture. Yeah. Mm. Um, really? Yeah, which is a huge accomplishment. So then you did the three Hobbit films, which mm-hmm. I could understand because The Hobbit is a book, but I think it didn't need to be three films. You mm-hmm. could have done it in two. 
But then now they're doing Rings of Power. Yeah. And now they're going beyond the source material, right? Yeah. They're going beyond the original story and it's tanking. And I think that's what you see with like pirates and a lot of these series is Star Wars when they overstay their welcome mm-hmm. and they go past, they no longer have a compelling story to tell. They just want to stay in that world to mm-hmm. make money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I feel like, and I'm surprised we haven't talked about this, but Avatar is, yeah. is a very interesting concept because yes. that movie, like the first one, the time length between the first one and the second one is uh-huh. not like... 10, 10 or so years. Yeah, which I still haven't well. seen the second one. But it's still like, a, people are actually really still interested in Avatar. So mm-hmm. like, he still plans on making his like, four more movies yeah. or however oh. more. Like, but it's still like that element of, he could learn from these mistakes of like, um, with the franchises that he's, that he's seen already and build upon his world with that. Because the storyline is kind of whatever, but the world that he's built in these movies, I feel like is what's really drawing people more yeah. so than the plot. I, I think, yeah. And I think James Cameron, like several filmmakers we'll talk about on these episodes, I think James Cameron is a great filmmaker mm-hmm. in the technical art of creating film. I don't think he's the greatest storyteller yeah. though, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, Avatars, that's a good one to bring up too. So with, with these fantasies, let me shoot off a few others as well um, as we're going to start to round out this episode. Because I think we've we've gone through quite a bit, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the heavy hitters here. Let me round out some ones that we haven't quite talked about, right? A lot of fantasies have romances as well in them. So there's one. Have you guys ever heard of this film called Stardust? No, heard of it. So it's made by Matthew Vaughn and written by Neil Gaiman. And it stars Charlie Cox as the main character and it has Henry Cavill, Robert De Niro, Michelle Pfeiffer, your Catwoman, as the villain, (laughs) (laughs) right? So it's a great, it's, it's, I, I was surprised I never, it's a sleeper hit, I Mm -hmm. feel like, because you guys are hearing this and you're like, I've never seen it, never heard heard, of it, right? I've heard about it though. But it is so dang entertaining. It's basically Charlie Cox has to, and this was like his first big role. So he's like, he's like a little youngin. It's so cute. He's like not Daredevil yet. And this is called what again? Stardust. So it's funny because we were listening when we saw Charlie Cox at uh, at MegaCon. Yeah. The way he acts is is more how he's like in Stardust than how he is in Daredevil. Okay. I was like, oh, okay. He's more naturally like that kind of character, right? But in Stardust. There's this girl that like is super bland, but he loves her. And her wish is that she's like, I want you to catch me a shooting star. And he's like, okay, fine, I'll go do it. And then if I catch a shooting star, will you marry me? Yes. All the while she's being courted by Henry Cavill. So Charlie Cox, then he goes into this fantasy realm where he learns that the star is actually a girl. And it's this adventure of him and the girl. And it's it's really dang entertaining. Uh, as a film, it's pretty funny too. So that's that's a good one that that is more on the romance side, right? Fantasy romance there. So Stardust. Um, another one that I wanted to bring up as well is that a lot of fantasy stories deal with a mission of some sort. So Stardust, there's a mission, right? A character has to go and do something. A lot of these stories have a mission, but one of the most um, Famous ones that does this is what I think is one of the greatest films, and many people would argue is one of the greatest films ever made as well, is The Wizard of Oz. 
Oh no. So. Oh boy, here we with go. With The Wizard of Oz. Uh-huh. Um, my, actually, my first introduction to The Wizard of Oz is actually a um, African-American spinoff called The Wiz. The Wiz, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Huh. So some I've of us, yeah, so I, have you heard of it, Nick? Mm-hmm. Okay, you, I guess. I've seen The Wiz. But yeah, so that was, I saw that first. Okay. And then I was like, oh, there's an act, it's The Wizard of Oz. It, it was off of this. Right. So. I'm fine with The Wizard of Oz, but again, my first uh, introduction that, to it was The Wizard. I mean, it's fine. Same story, yeah, yeah. just different flavor of it. Yeah. Flavor. <laughs> Seasoned. <laughs> oh, yep. Man. Michael yep. Jackson's in it. Yeah, Michael Jackson. He's oh, a scarecrow, scarecrow, right? Yep, he's a scarecrow. And it's, um, what's her name? Diana Ross mm-hmm. as Dorothy? Yeah. Yeah, it's got a good, it's got a good yeah. cast. My got some good songs in it, too. So Wizard of Oz is a cool one to talk about, right? Because not just the story, because the story, if if you've ever done a deep dive on the Wizard of Oz, it's one of the funnest stories to analyze symbolism wise, because the Wizard of Oz is an allegory, or a lot of people believe it's an allegory for the for populism and the reconstruction movement post-Civil War. Hmm. And so it's really fascinating to see what all those characters represent. But The Wizard of Oz is interesting from a filmmaking perspective because at that time, you just had films that were in black and white. Mm -hmm. The only time you had color films was in animation. Mm. So that moment, and I get chills. Like, I, you know, I've showed The Wizard of Oz to my kids now. And I get chills watching the film go from black and white to color and realizing that that was the first time we saw live action color in Mm. film. And getting chills of like, what would that have been like? Yeah. Like if I could go back and, and have a theatrical experience Whoa. and be in a theater, <laughs> right? I think people- I take it for granted. They didn't have pictures. Yeah, no, right? yeah. That was the first time you saw something in color? That was yeah. the fir- the that's, live that's action, wild. live that's, action color. But even like a photograph. No, I don't know about necessarily a photograph, but a movie. Yeah. Like going to a movie theater and seeing live action people. Because it'd be color. black and white, and then it's just like color, like, whoa, wait. Yeah, that'd be real. This that- is possible. Yeah. This is the greatest movie ever. Yeah, hike. Well, and that's an example of like a movie that's a fantasy movie, mm-hmm. but it made a fantasy that people had into reality. Yeah. And films have never been the same since, yeah. right? That's dope. Because um, color was so expensive that even after Wizard of Oz came out, it took decades before the majority of films were in color. That's wild. It was so ahead of its time and it was so expensive of a process. But it's like that moment is yeah. so good that's when dope. you see the change. It, I mean, I get chills. I get chills watching it imagining but it's a good story wizard of oz is a fantastic fantasy story you know mm-hmm. now here's the thing is it all a dream is it all a dream <laughs> i think that a lot of, i think that's up for debate i think this is my argument i think the wizard of oz is the first multiverse story ever told because <laughs> think about it that's funny. think about it that's funny. in the first 10 minutes oh, they established dorothy's family oh that's the scarecrow that's the lion Uh that's the tin man that's the witch right literally all the characters are there in kansas in the first 10 minutes then dorothy goes to another universe where they're all in oz and it's right we should i can't they should remake it with king King show up in it Do the whole black and white experience. Dorothy in the multiverse of madness. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Can't come in and kill them all. Yeah. 
Dorothy is that's Marvel canon. That's too much. Oh man. Yeah. I mean that's that's cool though. Yeah. Yeah. Another so here's another example of a film that I think is in the fantasy genre that would have blown people away mm-hmm. that I would also love to have gone back and seen in the theater for the first time. And it's a fantasy mystery story uh, called Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, oh I, love, I love that, that is a good Can one. you imagine seeing for the first time yeah. cartoons I and want, real live action people interacting on I watched screen. the behind the scenes of that. Just like yes. with one of the scenes um, with the octopus when he's actually serving people. They're, having, they're using sticks and things uh-huh. like that. Um, the whole auditorium, they built like a second level so that they can walk around with sticks like like for the penguins to hold it. And like, um, mm-hmm. what is it? Post-production, things like that. Oh, they they put a lot of time and energy into this mm. movie. And I, At, it's great, too. As technical filmmaking, Nick, it's one of the mm-hmm. best films Like that's achieved something. Yeah. You know? I think I have. I remember it, but off the top of my head, like right now, I can't recall it. Mm. And I think it's shocking. I think besides the fact, the technical aspect of it, I think it's also would have been shocking for people to see Disney and Looney Tunes characters together in an, uh, together and in an adult film, mm-hmm. because I don't care what you say. Who yeah, framed Roger Rabbit that. is not a kid's film. No, I don't care. They <laughs> no. may say all you want. It's eighties PG. That's what I call it. Or it's not really PG, but that film, I rewatched it a couple of years ago. I'm like, this is great. Yeah. I, I got a long time before I could show this to my kids, though. The saddest death is when the main <laughs> villain's dipping the shoe oh, into like, the, the ass. Oh, yes. Yeah, and he's just whimpering. Yeah, I was like, oh. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's evil, bro. <laughs> but it's, it, it, it brings a finality to something that doesn't die yeah yes. like it's the death of, of an idea it's the death right. of something that's yeah. created like oh these things actually can like be melted away mm-hmm. that's a a scary thing yeah so if that's untu- uh not untouchable then nothing's untouchable mm-hmm. right as if we're talking about great films i think one of the greatest fantasy films ever made it's a fairy tale type of film but it also does that blending with the real world so well and that's uh guillermo del toro's pan's labyrinth you guys, seen it. I haven't seen, seen it. Seen it. You've seen, seen Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, okay. So, so, yeah. so what do you think of Pan's Labyrinth? I have not seen it. Oh, I haven't seen it in a little while, but I have <laughs> Okay, seen it. dig I remember, deep. I remember um, the monster. The uh-huh. monster was awesome. I remember the editing in that movie because it was kind of unique. Um, and I remember that mushroom under the bed. I remember some of the parts of the movie, but really. <laughs> out of context. I remember, yeah. yeah. I remember There's that, a lot yeah. of that, iconic that moments, right? officer <laughs> killing that guy, like, really, like, uh, violently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Pan's Labyrinth is an R-rated fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> so it's about a pregnant mother and her young daughter that go to live with their abuse, her abusive husband, who's her stepfather, and he's the colonel or something like that of the the military as they're trying to establish fascism in Spain. So it's 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 a really dark story. Okay. Really dark. It doesn't shy away from that. anything. But what happens in the story is that this this girl stumbles upon this fantasy realm. Now, I would argue that the book of Revelation dives into fantasy a bit. And the revelation is a genre of literature called apocalyptic. Are you guys familiar with that? 
So where you're basically taking fantastical images and symbols and using them to illustrate what's going on in the real world simultaneously, right? Okay. So Pan's Labyrinth is what I would call the closest film that helps you understand the book of Revelation. Because this is what happens. She goes into this world of fantastical mythological images where every single thing represents something. Just like in the book of Revelation, right? All those images mean something. And if you have to know your Old Testament to understand what they mean, right? Mm -hmm. So in Pan's Labyrinth, you have to understand what all these, because they're playing off fairy tales. So you have to understand what they mean. But what she does in the spiritual realm, because I'm going to call it the spiritual realm, because that's essentially what it is in Pan's Labyrinth. What she does in the spiritual realm affects the real world or the physical world. Mm -hmm. And what she does in the physical world affects the spiritual world. So you actually see how they're intertwined, Hmm. just like what you're trying to see with Revelation, right? How what happens in heaven affects earth and all that stuff. So... What I love about Pan's Labyrinth is how it creatively kind of depicts that Mm -hmm. and illustrates that in this kind of modern, very dark uh, way. And since you guys haven't seen it, I really don't want to spoil the ending of it because I do think it's worth your time. I do think it's one of the greatest fantasy films, maybe one of the greatest films ever made because you'll never see anything like it. And especially the fact that it's all practical. There's pretty much almost no CGI. (laughs) Yeah. And so like the makeup, the costuming of all the creatures and stuff is really, really phenomenal. But the ending is so disturbing. I'm not going to say what it is. It is disturbing, but it is one of those endings that makes you think a lot. And it really does something. To you, And I'm going to leave it at that. So one of the things we haven't talked about yet is something called magical realism. So have you guys ever heard that term before? Mm-mm. Would so, that be Harry Potter? No. Would that cool. be Bright, the movie with Will Smith? and he... I've never seen it. Oh. Wow. That, that, so, you know what, what I'm talking about, nope. right? Oh. Even so, Derek's never seen it. So magical realism is where you take one element of something fantastical or magical and you put it in something that's either our real world or pretty close to it, right? So an example of that, I'll give you a very practical example, is Pinocchio. You have a puppet that comes to life. That is from fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. Blue fairy, talking cricket. Those are fantasy pieces, but you bring them in to the real world in some way. And that's what's called magical realism. So that's like the reverse of when someone goes into. Yes, exactly. So that's where you pull the fantasy thing into reality. So that that is also fantasy as well, the fantasy genre, right? Mm. So Pinocchio is is, like Space Jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I would I would argue that the Sonic the Hedgehog movies. Yes, I would argue that as well. Sonic, I think, would fall under that too. Shout out to Ronnie Lowe. (laughs) Because Sonic the Hedgehog, especially more so the first movie than the second one, but that movie is really about pulling Sonic Mm -hmm. out of a fantasy world and putting him in, right? And they have to interact with him. That's magical realism right there. That's funny. Yeah. Cool. So Pinocchio is probably my top 10 favorite stories of all time. So that's definitely one that I love. And 
you still need to finish Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio so we can have a conversation about the existential crisis that is life. Because Because I never thought I would watch Pinocchio and have an existential crisis. So I wake up with them. You wake up with them. They're your breakfast, right? He sees that movie when he looks in the mirror. So the final one I want to talk. So the final one I want to talk about. Pinocchio is a metaphysical journey as well as a fantasy, right? So a lot of these genres go side by side and overlap. So the final one I want to talk about is a is a fantasy story that exists as a metaphysical journey in and of itself. And so metaphysical journeys, as you know, right? We did that episode. There's stories that are primarily centered around a character undergoing some sort of spiritual, religious, or philosophical transformation in order to get. Uh, what they need. And so one of the best examples of this uh, novel and all the one of the most adapted films of all time is A Christmas Carol. Mm. So with okay. A Christmas Carol, and this is why Christmas Carol is another story. It's one of my favorite stories of all time. It is mm-hmm. my favorite Christmas story, hands down, not even close. Well, okay, sorry, not including the story of Christ. Sorry. <laughs> Besides that, no, it's my favorite fictional Christmas, okay. Christmas story. But what but here's what you got with Scrooge, right? So that's the real world. And it is a dream, but it is a dream that is accessing real memories. So Scrooge actually has to relive parts of his story, right? He relives his past, he gets a different perspective on his present, and he gets a glimpse into his future. So it is real, so it is not. It, it is using the dream, but it is using the dream to explore memory, which is something that dreams actually can do. Um, but it is a fantasy that is ultimately serving this metaphysical journey. And so, I love a Christmas Carol. But you guys have any thoughts on that one? Uh, I love it. Uh, which which is your favorite iteration of it? Because I really love the um, the one with Jim Carrey playing like mm. everybody. I do like yeah. the Jim Carrey um, one quite might a be bit. One of my favorites, yeah. Especially the Ghost of Christmas Present, probably my favorite part of that movie. Yeah, considering that I think Christmas Carol is a story that is very important for both kids and when you're older and you're more jaded on life, right? Mm -hmm. I think one of the best versions, you might laugh at me for this, but one of the versions that best actually handles that, both those demographics that I think the story is for, is the Muppet Christmas Carol. It's funny, actually. I love Muppet Christmas Carol. Because you have Michael Caine, who, Michael Caine, who's, you know, in all kinds of things, in but every Nolan, in, Michael Sam, in every Nolan film, right? But Michael Caine <laughs> said, above the mic. <laughs> he said, he said when he was going to do Muppet Christmas Carol, he said, I'm going to treat it like Shakespeare. Mm. He's like, I'm going to treat it like it is the role of a lifetime. And he took it seriously. And I think he's the best human actor in any Muppet film, hands down. Is he the one from How I Met Your Mother? No. He's Michael Caine is like a thespian. Oh, like, oh. Yeah. You didn't know? I don't know. It's Alfred. Yeah. Yes, it's Alfred in the Nolan. Yeah. I don't know him as his actual name. Better it's Michael. It's it's Alfred. Yeah. Faces or references right. over names. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But with but with the Muppet Christmas Carol, what I really love about it is it has the playfulness, right, and the fun that you should have as kids. Mm-hmm. But it's also, especially they just put the extended version on Disney Plus, which I which leaves out like a scene. And I was like, why on earth would you leave this scene out? It's so good. <laughs> Listen, don't make fun of my Muppets. Hey, I'm just, well, I it, love my Muppets. I'm just laughing at the extended cut. You know? <laughs> the extended it's, 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 director's cut of a Muppet <laughs> Christmas Carol. 
Um, but I love it because I Michael Caine gives such a good performance as that jaded man mm. coming back to everything, right? It maintains the darkness of the story. Um, it, it maintains some of the religious aspects, but I love A Christmas Carol. Mm. I, I mean, that's, that's a film I try to watch every year. I love that it's a way of accessing your story and seeing your story from a different perspective and realizing, I mean, this is literally what I do in narrative practices. That is a Christmas Carol, is I take people through their lives, help them to see it from a different lens, lift different perspective, different way, and have them live a different story moving forward. And that a Christmas Carol represents what I try to do with people. Yeah. So that's that's why I love it. So here's what I want to do to close off this episode, all right? Because we're all hungry here. So here's here's how we're going to close it out, all right? I want you to choose one fantasy story that we talked about, all right? And I have a list here. You guys can look at the list if you want. I want you to choose one fantasy story to close out and talk about why you personally really resonate and connect with it, all right? If anything I can re relate to, it would be Lord of the Rings. Mm. And just how we live this life in in brotherhood, uh, not so much <laughs> expressed in the movie, but also sisterhood. We're, we're banding together for a common goal, and there's a very real good, and there's a very real evil. Yes, yes. And there is also a lot of uncertainty, and there are betrayals when people lose sight of what's important, and there's a temporary like blindness when let's say the ring is tricking people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the people that are tricked and may fall to an end or something happens with them they're not hated it's not a betrayal that was really meant from the heart it's yeah they were tricked mm. and the characters are still loved they're still honored they didn't completely condemn spoilers boromir yeah 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 or when i think it was pippin he mess he mm -hmm, misses mm -hmm, up yep uh, when he grabs the orb, like it's understood. Even Sam is betrayed by Frodo, yeah, because he's tricked, but he still pursues him and he still helps him. And I think the friendship at the core of that is something that I really relate to and, mm. and try to um, keep that in my heart. Yeah, it's a very pure friendship story. That's good. And it's in the midst of all this crazy stuff that happens. It's just two hobbits way yeah. out of their zone. But which which blows me away that you still haven't finished Return of the King because the greatest act of friendship is in that is in that movie. Actually it's in Tenet, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I put Tenet at a close second for that. Because <laughs> oh it's really hard to beat yeah. Samwise Gamgee, but Tenet oh, I do. So Neil in Tenet is yeah, the greatest, that dude. greatest cinematic friend. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> sci-fi breaking in anyways. In ten minutes. Come back next are month. Are you are you talking about the end of it? Because I have been spoiled on the very end well, of the, it. Well just the famous line where Sam says, I I'll I'll carry, you know, the whole or he's like, if you can't go any further, I'll carry you, right? Mm -hmm. And he carries Frodo to do the hard thing that he knows he has to do. Because Frodo would not have completed that mission without Sam, right? Oh. Sam really is the vital 
piece. Even though Frodo is our protagonist, he is not a lone protagonist. That story shows us that we cannot go through these quests, these journeys, these adventures of life alone. No. And if we do, it is to our own detriment and peril. And it's not like Sam could have done it alone either. Right? No one could have. No one. They needed a fellowship. That's what I love about the Fellowship mm -hmm. of the Ring, right? It's we need everybody. We need the elves. We need the dwarves, right? We need everybody the wizards, humans, hobbits. Everybody plays a role in this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good, Jason. Uh, J Joseph or Nick, how about you guys? Uh, I like Edward Scissorhands because he's emo and I, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty emo too, so I connect with him on that. Um, I think I, I like uh, Tim Burton a lot. I yeah. think that movie is just beautiful in general, but I, I like the idea of like being so different that you actually have like scissor hands. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I just connect to him. I like it. I, it actually kind of goes to what you were just saying. I think he does try to do it alone. Yeah. And he ends up alone, I think, yeah. in, in the mm -hmm. castle. Yeah. Uh, so it's actually the exact opposite of The Lord of the Rings. It's a right. tragedy, um, which I don't mind. I... I uh, I don't know. I'm yeah. just with my boy Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, no, it is. It is a tragedy. Ugh, I think of that scene with the snow, with the ice, right, yeah. and the snow. That's like one of those great like cinema moments with uh, the score and everything. Mm -hmm. And he's so awkward, and he's like yeah. his scissor hands are cutting. But the fact that he could take what makes him strange, alienates him, and awkward, and create something, something beautiful yeah. out of love. That that's my favorite part of the film. That's the part that moves me every time I watch it. No matter how badly he's treated, he's able to take it all and do something mm -hmm. genuine mm -hmm. and kind with it. Yeah, that my, that's my answer, not the one I just said. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, how about you? Um, would Bridge to Terabithia be one? I've actually never seen Bridge to Terabithia. Okay. So, well, if it, what do you think? I think it do I is. Need to leave the but room because I haven't seen. It. I don't want to be spoiled. Uh, you should probably leave the room. All right, y'all call me when I come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, come yeah get, get yeah, out of here. Me and Jason sound off. We're gonna go eat. Oh yeah. wait, no, that's not fair. No, just, just, save know. me a slice. <laughs> like, like, just Joe, come knock on the door when it's time to come back in for the big finish. All right, okay. fine, fine. I want to hear Derek. Okay, okay, okay. Not you though. So right, go ahead, Joe. With Bridge to Terabithia, um, I'm gonna spoil everything, guys. <laughs> so no, with Bridge to Terabithia, um, I would say it does because it still is that it brings that um that fantasy element, okay. but they. It, they it's the one where they go into the to the other worlds like or the worlds start combining and things like that, that sounds cool yeah so i would say that movie resonates with me the most because growing up that was one of the first movies i ever saw like like someone my age dying yeah yeah wow. yeah so like at the end i think again she like how you said she does try to do it on her own yeah um and then she ends up dying uh at the end of it because she was trying to go to the other world yeah but she slips and ended up like snapping her neck and things like that so it was one of those things like oh my goodness like and i remember just crying like i vividly remember crying it was just wow so like emotional so, yeah. yeah it was a very very emotional movie i want to check me. it out I, you know i like my emotional yeah, movies exactly i think you should i'm it's, gonna put it on my list and it's, it's on disney plus and it is like yeah an hour and 36 minutes it's not really? that long so yeah, no. I would See, the cool thing is you're saying she, so I don't know who she is. Yeah. So I'm just gonna leave it at that. Oh man, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm gonna check that out, bro. I appreciate that <laughs> yeah. recommendation. All right, guys, All right. done. You can come back in, Jason. All right. So mine, I'm gonna pick. I'll go back to it. Is Pinocchio? 
because a lot of people are like, why do you like Pinocchio so much? Why, why do you, do you like whether Pinocchio? it's the Disney version, the Guillermo del Toro version, what I love about the story of Pinocchio is that it's a story about the human experience, right? And it's that we're all on a path of some sort towards becoming the most real version of ourselves. And so I love that it's a story, of, it's not just a story about a boy that has to learn uh, about what it means to be human and, ex and have the human experience, right? But it's also about a father that has to learn how to love his son. Because in most Pinocchio stories, Geppetto had a son and he was basically the aspirational oh, son. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, in okay. most versions, he had a son and he, it was an aspirational son. It was like the perfect son. Mm -hmm. He loses that son. Pinocchio is not the aspirational child. Mm -hmm. He's a cathartic motivational child, right? He has to learn goodness. And that's hard for Geppetto mm -hmm. to you know, have to, to teach him. And that's one of his struggles there. And so he has to learn his son despite his imperfections. Mm. That's why I love in the Guillermo del Toro version when Pinocchio, the moment happens where he saves his father from the whale or the fish, whatever. When that moment comes where he turns into a real boy, he doesn't become human. He stays the puppet. Mm. He stays wooden because what Geppetto has to learn is he has to learn to love Pinocchio with his flaws and all. And he's not just going to change into the ideal version of what he wants him to be. Besides all that, I love how that story is all about, it's also a story about not being a puppet. Mm. You have to ask who is controlling you, right? Because in the Pinocchio story, you have entertainment and yeah. art trying to put the strings back on him mm -hmm. to control him. You've got the Pleasure Island sequence where they're trying to ignite his passions uh, in order to make an ass of him, literally. Yeah. So that way he can just become fuel for the economic machine. Or in the Guillermo del Toro version where they send him to a boys camp, that's really a training camp for soldiers, right? So there, everybody's trying to put the strings on. Everybody's trying to control him, right? Kind of like what we talked about, Joe, with the Truman Show. Yeah. And how do you not become the puppet? How do you break free from tyranny? Because the irony is that while Pinocchio is about learning obedience, it's about learning obedience to what it means to be human, which also involves knowing when to be disobedient learning when to say no and, and hold on to your freedom and not sacrifice your freedom for tyranny. And so the fact that you can have this magical, this creature, this thing, this person from the magical realm that comes and illustrates to us, because again, like a lot of Pinocchio versions, Pinocchio has to experience a death of some sort. And the Guillermo del Toro version makes it literally where he literally has to die a series of deaths in order to be, right? And so the fact that you have this fantasy thing that comes to our world and shows us how we're to live, I'm not saying this in a mocking way or anything, but it kind of reminds me of what Jesus does, is Jesus comes from a different realm that is foreign and unfamiliar and honestly fantastical to us mm -hmm. and shows us how we need to live, right? Mm -hmm. That's what the Pinocchio story illustrates. And that's why it, I resonate with it so much because it's a different way of getting about that same 
goal because fantasy stories ultimately should inform who we are and how we live. Mm. And that's where I think we should end this on. Thank you guys so much for being on this episode. Thank you. And did you guys have fun? Yeah. Good, yeah. good times? God bless your ministry. Sound eat. Yes. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow as in after dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, we're going to go do that sci-fi episode next. So join us next month for that. And until next time, this is your friendly narrative practitioner, Derek, signing off, saying go read a good fantasy book, see a great fantasy film, check out my letterbox list of, I think, of 64 fantasy films. <laughs> Go check it out, and until next time, take care. Doo -doo -doo.